Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I want to get right to this episode. Before we do, I want to thank you guys for listening to this podcast. want to let you know the best way to reach out to me is probably an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or through my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. Just send me a direct message. I want to thank GoHunt.com. They are the title sponsor and have been since the inception of my podcast in 2015. You guys know Cody Nelson, my friend, the glassing guru, the optics authority there, the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you guys have any optics needs, any tripod, any glassing questions, you can reach out to Cody directly at 602-399-3699. You can text or call him. That is his cell phone. You can also reach him at 702-847-8747. You can email optics at gohunt.com. Make sure to always use, whether ordering online or if you're calling and and call Cody Direct, use the J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Um, also, you get a 10% discount at the Go Hunt Insider, which has incredible um, mapping now with the Go Hunt maps. Um, it also has amazing draw odds and strategy articles, uh, which is super important this spring going into application season. Go check it out um, gohunt.com uh, forward slash J Scott. Uh, and if you use the J Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt. Gift, uh, gear shop gift card um, when you sign up um, just by using the J. Scott uh, promo code. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. I've been using um, Kuyu gear since 2010 um, when the company started. They're based out of California. Um, my late friend Jason Harrison was the founder of that company and Um, Since Jason's passing, the company has just continued to push the bar of excellence and innovation. Uh, Go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com. You can order. It's a direct-to-consumer website. Um, They also have uh, a retail store in Dallas, Texas, as well as the headquarters in Dixon, California. Go to Kuyu, K-U-I-U.com to order. Uh, I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Cheston and his guys over there at Phonescope um, make the best digiscoping adapters for your binos or for your spotting scope. Use the JSCOT24 promo code and get a 10% discount on all orders. Guys, let's get right to this episode. Again, I appreciate you tuning in um, and God bless. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got my friend Justin Earhart of Premium Hunts out of eastern Arizona, out of the Springerville, Eager area. Justin, how you doing? Doing good, Jay. And yourself? Good. We are um, about a week or so away from the deadline for the Arizona elk applications. Um, I know you cover that unit one and 27 really hard and, and always have great success there. I wanted to get you on a short podcast here to talk about, um, what you're seeing, um, with the applications coming up, um, with the tag allocations and whatnot, some of the changes there in 27. Uh, before we get to that though, um, how are things looking as far as moisture in the last month or two? Um, 
up there in in your neck of the woods well <clears throat> well so far our moisture's been pretty pretty good it's definitely been uh, solid no, no complaints yet and uh we've got some more moisture in the forecast so it's looking up um with that being said there's um you know enormous predictions for an el nino year an el nino pattern with that typically is a wet february wet march wet april um if if we do get a decent el nino how do you think that will play into um, antler growth moving forward for this upcoming season i think it'd be really really good i mean that would hit you know perfect timing for when they're really starting to grow and that's when the grass is actually starting to grow too so any more moisture we're going to get you know that later part of february early part of march is icing on the cake okay um how was last season um we had a uh the monsoon was tell me tell us about last season tell us about the feed and antler growth last season and how that translates um, right now with the set of antlers that they have and then you know dropping here um, you know and we're starting to regrow where are we sitting coming off of this last season well this last season our growth was pretty good um, not really any complaints on that end but our rains never did really show up in this part of Arizona so um, I think that's why we ended up seeing a lot more broken bulls than we're used to seeing they didn't have that last little jump at the end of their growing season but um i think it's it's looking good i mean it's not like they're down in condition or anything and you know it's been a fairly mild and wet winter so um it should should be growing good this year okay um you guys routinely year after year figure out how to manage and find a lot of the older age class and bigger bulls in that one and 27 area. What do you think you can attribute that to um, other than just knowing the area really well and hard work, or is that literally the ingredient? That's, that's basically the ingredients right there. But I mean, it is getting tougher and tougher every year to find that upper end bull. Um, still, in my opinion, they're, putting out too many tags and it's you know slowly affecting the age class for sure so it's getting a little harder every year to find that upper end uh do you believe that the wallow fire after the wallow fire once the wallow fire allowed for unit one to be super glassable and then allowed for that late hunt in unit one to be effective a great hunt for people hunting it not great necessarily for the elk do you believe that that was kind of the start of you know the quality of antler decline and age class in that area because it opened it up and allowed for people to really glass into those burn areas and and you know have a really good success it's kind of a double-edged sword curious your thoughts on that Right. Yeah, it, it definitely played a role in it. I mean, those first few years after the fire were some of the best I've ever seen and probably will never see anything that will rival it. But we had, 
phenomenal feed after the fire. We had a lot of bulls with age class and, you know, I really think we could have continued with just that phenomenal, phenomenal growth and age class that we had, but they did, they did up the tags quite a bit a few years after the fire. And that's kind of what slowly started the decline because like you said, it's all opened up and uh, the late hunts play a, play a big role in the fact that the age class is don't you also believe that the reservation elk um who some might have come you know over to unit one to seek refuge in the late season now all of a sudden those bulls for a few years were very vulnerable and some of those big bulls that were killed were reservation bulls that just had a pattern of you know getting over there onto some of that state ground where before there were canopies that allowed them to you know basically hide and it just opened opened the roof on them and um, people were able to penetrate and see in there right correct yeah we definitely had some bulls that had moved into this country just because the feed was extremely extremely good those few years after the fire and you know they were sitting ducks in a lot of areas compared to normal when i look at the regulations um hunt 3125 september 13th through september 26th uh one two b two c there's 250 permits there and then unit 27 hunt 3149 september 13th through september 26th uh, there's 250 permits uh, in that unit as well. Um, when you look at just look at the archery um, hunts in those two units, can you kind of compare and contrast the hunts in those two units for maybe someone that's looking at both of them as, you know, a first or second choice or trying to decide between 1 and 27 whether to put it as a choice of theirs? Yeah, well, the, the two hunts, uh, even though they border each other and they're the exact same dates, same tag numbers, everything, they're they're night and day different in the early season. Um, unit one is going to be a lot more action-packed and just a lot more bulls. And it's getting to be where, you know, the bigger bulls are in unit one because the, the cow herds have been struggling quite a bit in 27. And those bulls, they're just, they're not sticking around because there's not the cows through the rut so they're going to places like unit one unit one holds you know the majority of the cows in our area so that's that's where they're gonna go so unit one you're gonna have a lot more bugling a lot more widespread action from head to toe um, unit 27 is gonna be a little more spotty spotty bugling um, you know good days and bad days where unit one's gonna be a little more consistent Correct. Yep. Unit one is, is way more consistent than 27. 27 is very spotty. Um, that time of year, you know, there's really only a small portion of the entire unit that's really going to hold any cows to speak of. And those areas are getting more and more overrun with people. So the pressure's a lot worse and the bulls just really aren't there but the few that are there are getting ran ragged <laughs> right are the 
are there's still some big bulls in the early season in 27 just not as many as there used to be right there still there still is i mean we we took a great bull on the early muzzleloader hunt last year out of 27 um but there it's it's definitely noticeable these past few years it's been on a decline for the early season hunts for you that's a local and born and raised there is it, it's obviously evident maybe for someone that just draws the tag is there still you know guys that draw the tag and go there and think it's phenomenal or are you starting to hear at the gas station and such of like where are they at yeah you're, you're starting to hear that quite a bit i mean don't get me wrong you're still going to have your good days and and obviously a fun time but you're going to have to do a lot of homework and be, be ready for you know some slow some slow days probably a lot more slow days than action-packed days okay um what impact do the antlerless hunts have um on those units i believe unit one has an antlerless hunt at the same time um checking on on 27 you might know off the top of your head but what impact does the number of antlerless hunters um have in that you know it's it's always been you know that you're going to run into the cow hunters and and you know it it plays a role in it for sure where it's looks like know, 27 has 25 permits and unit one has 35 antlerless permits so it's not a huge amount but it, it, so 250 on bull for each and then 25 and 35 so 275 and 285 people in the units yeah and and that's those are new numbers for this year they did cut back on the cow tags quite a bit because the cow numbers have been in decline and and they're finally recognizing it and they're they cut back on their tags so i'm i'm hoping that'll bring us back to you know where we once were where a lot of those bulls would stay but anymore without the numbers of cows in 27 there a lot of those bulls are leaving and we're finding them you know in the heart of unit one are they also going the other way and and going east into new mexico yeah some of them definitely are um some of them are going to the reservation as well but um you know it's hard to know exactly what goes over there but we do see a a big chunk of them showing up in unit one in the rut and then they'll show back up in 27 for the late season have uh the removal of trail cameras in your mind has there been enough time to go by to see any impact on elk in your country uh either for or against trail cameras no i haven't really seen you know much of an impact until they decrease tag numbers probably not going to notice much okay when you look at the um the early firearm seasons there in um your two units that you cover you've got um unit looks like unit one um n27 both let's see one has the muzzle loader and 27 must be the early rifle um right one has 35 permits um, how do you rate that hunt um, compared to how it used to be? It, it's still a really good hunt, um, but I mean, all these units overall are not what they used to be. I mean, they 
I know a lot of the people in the department are saying that, you know, we have more elk than we've ever had, which um, none of us local guys really agree with that. But, you know, there, there's still a good amount of elk, but the, just the quality and the age classes has gone downhill and they're not what they used to be. Okay, so you have unit one that has the muzzle loader, and then you have unit 27 as rifle. Um, there's 40 permits in 27. If you're just looking at one or 27 for the muzzle loader or early rifle, which one do you think you could kill the biggest bull in with that particular hunt? Right now, I would say unit one. Okay. So pretty much across the board, you used to answer when I would have you on that 27 um, would edge that out as, you know, maybe the biggest bull. But it sounds like 27 is, is, is seeing more of the decline or maybe not more, but it's more noticeable uh, in 27 than in one. Correct. The, the age class in the early season is just... Uh... In, in 27 you'll, you'll always find a big bull or two if you cover enough ground but it's it's been struggling the last few years okay um another thing that i know you're going to be real thrilled to talk about is in unit 27 they split the hunt into two hunts uh november 29th through december 5th and december 6th through december 12th um, respectively, they each have uh, 250 on the first hunt, 225 on the second hunt. I can't imagine you thinking that that's a good idea, do you? No, not really. I mean, the the idea behind it was because there was so much pressure, you know, on, on those drier years where a lot of the bulls are all piled in and in the top of the mountain. The hunter conflict with each other was was becoming overwhelming and there were lots of complaints about it. So I can understand why they did it, but when they did it, they split the two or the hunt into two weeks. They're running them back to back and they added 50 more tags overall. So that right there just is going to create a bigger impact on the quality and, and numbers. So in other words, there's half the amount of pressure, but it's two, it's two weeks instead of it, it, it. They've doubled the amount of time. And the argument would be, well, there's half the amount of people, but then the other argument is, well, there's, it's double the amount of time. So it's really those pockets that have the bulls in them where they're kind of clumped up are going to receive twice the amount of pressure. They're still going to receive pressure. They're not going to have any break, and they're back-to-back, -back, so it's it's just uh, wham-bam, thank-you-ma'am type of situation, yep. right? They're going to have pressure for two weeks straight, and where last year, you know, we had this one, the Unit 27 late hunt, it was one hunt, and they had a total of 425 tags. Well, now there's, you know, two weeks with two separate hunts, and the total between the two hunts is 475, so... They, they up the amount of tags, they up the length of the pressure. It's, uh, it's going to play a big role in a big decline. It's, I can tell in your voice, it's really hard for you to swallow what's happening, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I've, I've, uh, voiced my opinion numerous times, but no, nobody seems to listen. 
And then you throw on top of that the November 8th through November 21st um, late archery hunt. There's one in 27 um, as well as a November 8th through November 21st uh, in 1, 2B, and 2C with 30 permits. So uh, again, kind of tightening the noose down on them and, and pressuring them pretty good um, is, is the way it looks in my book. Yeah, they're not getting much much of a break at all throughout the whole season, and you know the fifty five late archery tags in unit twenty seven. That's that's gone up over the last few years as well. So they're they're creating a lot of opportunity, but the elk are paying severely for it. In your opinion, if you were going to make the argument um, against opportunity and more for age class and quality you know, you're an outfitter and you're a hunter, you apply for your own personal tags and your kids and whatnot and your family that hunt. And then you also take clients, you know, someone might argue that an outfitter, wow, that gives them a lot more opportunity. But I believe your argument would be, you know, let's, let's try and manage for more age class than opportunity. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would love to see more age class than opportunity for sure. But, you know, that obviously the argument is that the popular opinion is opportunity. And I, I don't align with that. I mean, you got to have the opportunity, but the, I think it's a little extreme what they're doing. Um, you know, they, they have certain units they claim to manage for quality and certain they manage for opportunity where the unit one is supposed to be in their management program for quality and 27 is more of a opportunity unit. And to me, you cannot in it separately because the elk go back and forth so much. Yeah. In, in other words, it's basically the same unit. It's well, it's two different units, but they, since they frequent both and depending on when they do their surveys and whatnot, it's a little bit misleading. Correct. Um, with all of that being said, and, and I know it's not time for deer, but has there been any change positive or, or negative on the deer impact, um, in those units? I mean, have, if they're trying to shoot more elk and, and get more elk off the landscape, have the deer benefited or have you not seen any change with that? No, I haven't seen any change at all in that. The the mule deer in our areas, you know, they're, they're subpar and they're struggling in my eyes um, as well. But, you know, we have, we have good coos deer hunting and good quality for that for sure. But the mule deer, they really haven't seen any benefit at all okay um when it comes to your success with you and your guides finding big bulls um there in in your terrain in your country um how much of that is you know we we hit it a little bit before but you know knowing the country being a local but it seems like there's other locals there that just that don't seem to have some of the success um you know, I have a lot of friends that live up there that, that hunt that country, not even outfitters, just guys that hunt. Um, when you're specifically targeting a big bull, I mean, are you, are you looking in those pockets where, 
you know, not everybody else is going and just looking for those kind of outliers that, you know, the needle in the haystack, is that kind of your approach? Because it seems year after year, if you look at your Instagram page, the size of bulls that you guys find are bigger than a lot of the other bulls that are harvested in the unit. I'm just trying to kind of hone in on your little secret there. <laughs> well, it not much of a secret. I've got a, a great group group of guys that help me and uh, everybody's just hardworking and everybody on our crew wants to kill, you know, the biggest bull we can. So it's just kind of a thing that we've always done and we continue to do. And, you know, I mean, whether the biggest is a 350 bull or the biggest is, you know, a 380 bull, we try to take the top end out of what's available every year. When you look at unit one, if, if I were to put you on the spot and say um, someone that's in really good shape, someone that has, you know, two weeks to hunt on the archery hunt, um, you know, what caliber, caliber of bull might they see on the archery hunt? And then maybe what expectation, like if they could come out of there shooting a, you know, 300 bull, 330 bull, 350 bull, 370 bull, like what what would that be for both unit one and 27 as you see it going into this season? Let's say someone that, you know, can get around good for two weeks and hike around and, you know, is, is a good, um, relatively good elk hunter. What are some realistic expectations there for archery? Well, realistically, the average bull that you're going to be seeing in either unit is going to be that 300 to 320 type bull, but that's not you know, the only size that's available. So somebody who's willing to grind it out and uh, hunt their butt off, yeah, they, they're going to have a chance at, I don't see why anybody couldn't have a chance at a 340-plus bull. Okay. And are the days of 370-plus, say, on the early rifle hunts, or is that more of a 350-plus um, kind of expectation now? It's been getting there, but you know we've we've been uh, we've been taking some good bulls on those hunts still. But overall, yes, we've seen a decline in in both units for sure. But you know, there's there's always going to be those one or two bulls that show up and where they came from, and they're big, and you just stick with them, and hopefully, you come out on top. Absolutely. Um... I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know uh, how they can reach out to you and how they can follow along with what you've got going up there. Well, you can follow us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, it's premium underscore hunt. Um, or if you have any questions, you can message me on there or you can give me a holler on my phone at 928-245-8722. Justin, it's always great having you on the podcast. Um, for you podcast listeners, I appreciate you um, listening to this podcast. I also want to remind you that uh, GoHunt is a title sponsor of this podcast. Cody Nelson, my friend of many years, the glassing guru, can be reached if you have any optics needs at all. 602-399-3699. You can also email him at optics at gohunt.com. Uh, also, uh, the Go Hunt Insider, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. Um, that is uh, gohunt.com forward slash J. Scott to sign up. 
Uh, also, anything that you order off of the website there or you call Cody for any of the gear, use the J. Scott promo code and get a 10% discount. Uh, also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting based out of California. Uh, it's a, the best ultralight hunting gear brand out there. They're direct to consumer, KUIU.com. Uh, go check them out. They also have a retail store at the headquarters in Dixon as well as in Dallas, Texas. And then phonescope.com, use jscott24. That will get you a 10% discount. Justin, it's always great um, having you on. I, I'm um, sorry you missed Mexico this year. Uh, typically, you come down and guide some hunts with us. And um, I know probably missing this year, you uh, it'll make you even more fired up for next year. So hopefully you can join us. And um, to be honest, you didn't miss much. There's been some really good bucks that have fallen in the last you know, seven days, but prior to that, prior to the storm that came in, the rut was pretty much non-existent and, you know, across the board, it, it's been a very rough year down there. So of all the years for you to miss, um, you know, this one was probably a good one to miss and let's hope with all, with the little bit of moisture that we've had, and if it continues this spring, it will translate for good elk in Arizona and good um, deer hunting in Mexico, but it's always great having you on the podcast. Well, I appreciate it, Jay. It's good, good talking with you. Okay, buddy. Sounds good. God bless. I'll, I'll see you uh, down the road. Okay. All right, Jay. Take care. Bye.